not going down just because of something some stupid adults are doing. Mobile suits. Monday, Monday. Camille's a man's name, and I'm a man! Uh, no carrots, please. Mobile suit? Roger that. Mobile suit. Mobile suit. Change. Although all enemies were defeated, Earth did not change one bit! The commander! <laughs> He's lost it! <laughs> every other day, every other day, every other day of the week is fine! You're a soldier here, aren't you? If you want to be more than just a grunt, you better learn to see the whole picture. Uh, yes, yes, sir. I'm the enemy, you idiot! Miss Matilda! Hey guys, welcome back to another Xeonorific episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight is one of my fellow Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Haha, <laughs> yes, my old friend Derek, yes, uh... Uh, it is I, Michael, your old friend who has been on this podcast for years with you. Do you remember that time we did that thing on the podcast in the past? Ah, ah what a thing. Uh, P.S., uh, don't question why I have sunglasses on now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to take over a tank, and hopefully I'll still be alive for the next podcast. Yeah, so if, if, you, if you haven't been able to figure it out by our not-so-subtle hints, what we are planning to discuss tonight, and we are planning to get out in a rather expedient manner, is Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin Episode 3, Dawn of Rebellion, was just released this weekend. Basically, I was, I was pulling like a crazy Marvel fanboy thing or whatever. I, I actually waited until midnight on the 20th, and then I was like, can I get it now? And like, you could, so, and you know, and then I ended up you know getting the english dub and since then i've also seen the japanese language version with subtitles as well and that's what me and mike are mainly going to be discussing this evening but we did discuss beforehand how there's really been a big sort of resurgence with with gundam in the u.s like localized Gundam products and availability. I mean, you know, for a while they were really pushing it, you know, back in the day, and that's how we all got into it. And then it seemed like, you know, somewhere around, I'd say like maybe 2008, 2009, it all sort of seemed to die when like, you know, Bandai USA was not, you know, a, a thing anymore. You know, it basically closed its shop up and stuff, and, and you weren't really getting anything other than, you know, whatever you could find online and you know slowly but surely you know there's been stuff released on youtube and now you know you've got right stuff anime and everything and and i thought maybe we'd talk about that for a few minutes i mean for for me i can say for myself like as far as like pre-orders of stuff coming my way 
I did order the Gundam Double Zeta Collection 1 on Blu-ray and the After War Gundam X Collection on DVD, and that's the first set of those episodes as well. So, I mean, I know I have that on the way as far as that goes, and I know there's plenty more coming from right stuff. There's the robot spirits or the robot damashi stuff that's coming out the the newer stuff and and a lot of those kind of look tempting to me i mean i don't really own too many of them i mean i know you had sent me you know one figure you know as as a, a gift and everything and and it's really cool but i haven't i really taken the tumble into buying other suits like i know you and justin both have a lot of those and i i think the one that was most tempting to me was what they're calling like the anime versions of the mobile suits especially like for the rx 98 i was like oh that looks pretty cool so i don't i don't know have you seen anything in terms yeah. of yeah like, I, like I, I've seen, like, what you're referring to, and I kind of did think those would be up your alley, because it's, like, their colors are pretty, like, I guess, like, bright, and, it, like, it reminded me of, like, you, like, you know, banana yellow, yeah. like, colors, yeah. and, like, you know, kind of every primary and bright colors, like, to, to capture what it looks like, you know, on screen, basically, and not necessarily, you know, when, when they try to translate to it, it being a physical object, it's like they kind of dull the colors sometimes, but, yeah, like, uh, that definitely struck me as something that would be up your alley, like, I, even I, I'm kind of, like, like, uh, if they weren't like so expensive, like I'd be interested, but you know, it was a, and now, now I just kind of like wait to see which, you know, if something I really want before I buy, but like, yeah, yeah like Char Zaku or, you know, the RX 78 or even, I think they, they're coming out with Ramba Rawls goof. So yeah, yeah. You know, those all look pretty cool. Yeah, they definitely do. I, I know you wanted to mention stuff about some of the like upcoming, video game type stuff that that is also being finally localized like for for uh yeah, American like, audiences i'm i'm not necessarily interested in getting them but it, i think it's cool that like i, I think uh, gundam breaker 3 which is uh, the gundam breaker series is kind of like a cust it's kind of like playing like uh like you you get to play like build fighters almost where you know you can customize all gundam parts and make your own like mobile suit and then fight it in like all these missions and stuff but i guess the third one is like coming out soon and it's it's got English subtitles and it's going to be made available domestically and or over here in the US and Gundam Extreme versus Force is being made available with like I I think it's I guess it's English subtitles or... It says cuz I copied the the listings from Play Asia and it does say that it's English localized version for the PlayStation yeah, Vita at... At so. the very least, like, I assume the menus and stuff and options are in English. Like, so, you know, because I feel like maybe the subtitles during gameplay might be a little distracting it with how fast-paced that gameplay is. But, you know, it's a step in the right direction at the very least. Like, I, I would... The one thing would that would make me buy a P PlayStation Four basically if, is if they said the like one of the full like arcade versions of those versus games would was gonna be like released and like localized for you know English speaking audiences. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I'll run out and get a PlayStation Vita or anything like that. Yeah. But... But, but, you know, it is interesting, though, the whole, you know, like, Gundam Breaker thing. I mean, that that's something that you would need to have a PS4 for, and, and it does seem like it's got a lot of options where, you know, I think they're talking about the previous title had 100 Gunpla kits to choose from, and, like, now it's, like, basically in the write-up, it's like, 
This increases massively the number of options and customizations available to a total of, like, too many zeros. I don't even know how many <laughs> yeah. this is. Like, I, I was, like, before we came on, I was actually looking at, some like, a message board where, like, people were talking about the game. And they like to show off, like, their creations where it's, like, you know, it's just crazy crap. Like, you know, Gundams with Zaku heads wielding, like, death sights, like, scythe and stuff. And, like, weird, crazy stuff like that. So... I mean, it, it seems interesting, but I don't think like I, you know, I wouldn't buy a PlayStation 4 just to get that, basically. But, yeah, you know, yeah. you know me in fighting games, like if one of like Extreme versus Maxi Boost or whatever came out for it, like I might I might have to like that might like, you know, like hit up my addiction or whatever they might. Yeah, uh, no, I think I think that's something that would that would push me over the edge and, and get me to invest in some, it, some upgraded systems. It, I, like, I know like the days the days are probably long gone, but like, you know, you can always dream where it's like, wouldn't it be awesome if those games had like a dub? Like, you know, like, yeah, I think yeah. that the last game we got that had a dub was like Dynasty Warriors three or something. And, you know, they just had like the ocean group. So that like you know, any any series that they did, it was fine. But any series that they didn't do, it was like, you know, some some of those characters had unfamiliar voices and stuff. But, you know, something's better than nothing, basically. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I guess to put the timetable in perspective, you know, obviously this is something we're going to try to release as soon as possible. So, you know, the, the episode of The Origin we're going to be talking about tonight, episode three, you know, aired May 22nd. And as far as what we're talking about now, most of this stuff, the Extreme versus Force, the Robot Spirits anime figures, the, the ZZ Blu-ray collection, and the, the Gundam X first DVD collection, that's all available now. As far as go, moving into the future, one of the things we wanted to talk about in addition to the video games was on June 4th, Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans is actually coming to Toonami, and it's got an English dub. So this is this is way big news as far as, like, if you're a fan of dubs and everything, because this is, what, the first Gundam series in, you know, what? I, I mean, not counting, you know, like Unicorn and, and The Origin, as we're discussing tonight, that has a localized dub, and you didn't have to Im import for... Yeah, like I think Double O was the last like domestic one. Yeah, like, that you know, was actually I think that like, was on like the Sci-Fi Channel. Or yeah, something. yeah. Like so. not, I think you know both Build Fighters and Age, like and, and like Reconquista and stuff. Like they didn't get like you know English dubs or anything. So yeah, yeah. So eh, there's that aspect to it. What we were just talking about the Gundam Breaker Three video game that comes out June twenty sixth. And then after that point, we've got in July, July 2nd sees the release, and, and we have been covering this on Mobile Suit Mondays, and, and this is in some ways an interruption of that coverage, but we have been covering the various ONA episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt, and by July 2nd, and right around the time hopefully we should be finishing up covering it, is when the Thunderbolt Limited Edition Blu-ray comes out. And I guess that's being referred to as December Sky and might actually have a little bit of extra footage, is my understanding. So I, I think that'll be probably cool when that comes out. And then in July 5th, they're going to have the second Double Zeta Blu-ray collection and the second Gundam X DVD collection. And then something I was surprised to see that I didn't know about 
until fairly recently was in August, August 2nd, they're actually going to release what we have covered here on Mobile Suit Mondays on the podcast, the series Gundam Build Fighters. And that's actually coming out on Blu-ray, which I was quite surprised at and, and thought was kind of cool. You know, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I didn't, I guess I, I wasn't expecting it. You know, I sort of knew that Double Zeta was in the pipeline and I knew that Gundam X was in the pipeline. So it wasn't quite as yeah. surprising when I saw those on the website. But when, you know, you're constantly looking at those different websites for release dates and everything. Eventually I saw, you know, Thunderbolt and Build Fighters pop up and I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. Yeah, I think oh, I, I said Age didn't get a dub, but uh, it did get one of those like crappy, like whatever Malaysian. Oh, it's English like anime yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Build Fighters has that, too. So we might actually get that with the 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 release but if i if i recall correctly i think double zeta had one of those dubs but that's definitely not included with the official release that's coming out from suke or right stuff or whatever so i'm like that's i mean that's not the end of the world i you know but but yeah yeah, i just thought it's i wouldn't i wouldn't have said no to it though no no not at all like I, i would have been interested to see that version of it one way or the other and i guess wrapping our state of the gundam union up before we get into the nitty-gritty that is Gundam The Origin Episode 3, we felt like it's only fitting to end on upcoming news of Gundam The Origin. So, basically, the next episode, Episode 4, is titled Fateful Eve, and that right now, currently, as far as I could tell, is scheduled for sometime in fall 2016. You know, I think they said, like, quarter four, so obviously it's probably going to be, like, September... October, November, something, or probably October, November, December, like some somewhere in there, you know, quarter four. So I imagine one one of those months is probably when it'll be released. You know, maybe I don't know, like the thirtieth of October or something. Given how they release like a lot of these things, yeah. like lately, I would expect something along those lines. And then why don't you tell everybody about what we just found out that's coming in 2017? Well, apparently they they expanded the origin from four episodes to. And unknown them, I, I assume it's going to be another four, like starting next year. They're going to do like, like, I, I haven't read the manga in a while. Like, so, like, I, I didn't read, like, I was thinking to myself, like, I think they should be able to fit all of it, that like supplementary material into four episodes. But clearly they cannot because, yeah, they just announced that they're going to be doing you know more epi- installments of the origin and it, it it'll it, i think they're calling it the battle of loom arc and it will obviously you know focus on the battle of loom which is a a, a famous you know f- battle that took place before the original series where you know mobile suits were first basically gained prominence and stuff so i guess they're saying that this this first four episode arc is like the the Castfall and Sela or what do you call it? like they, their story basically, and then the next arc will focus more on like everyone basically like you know what everyone was doing before the war and you know continue you know at least Shar's story certainly and I know that having read the manga like I remember that Sela has like more stuff to come too so. You know, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. I I think the only thing that I was sort of freaking out about is, you know, every time they release one of these 
in a limited edition. It's like a hundred bucks for an episode. So I was like, no more mercy. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, but other than that, like I'm excited to have more content. I mean, even if it comes to the, what we're doing now is just, you know, streaming the episodes as they come out and enjoying them that way. But I, I, I am certainly looking forward to more new content. I'm not, I don't feel like plunking out, you know, a hundred bucks an episode forever though. Cause that's, that's kind of crazy. But yeah, so I, I thought it'd be worthwhile since, like I said, we're we're trying to get this out in a fairly expedient manner this time, you know, and, and tie into the, you know, try to get it out as soon as possible. So I thought it'd be worthwhile to go through, you know, all this kind of like recent news that's that's fairly cool. And, you know, you may or may not be on on the, the pulse with that kind of news. But we just figured we'd go over it and, you know, hopefully maybe there's something in here you hadn't been aware of and it piqued your fancy and stuff. Or, or maybe just reviewed, you know, some things that you're you're interested in if you enjoy listening to this show and you enjoy, you know, Gundam, you know, Mobile Suit Gundam franchise in general. So I guess what we'll do here is we'll take a, a little commercial break and then when we come back, me and Mike are going to be talking Gundam The Origin Episode 3. Dawn of Rebellion. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story. Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com All right, well, we are now back, and as promised, we are here to discuss Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin Episode 3 Dawn of Rebellion. And as it begins, there's this really long-ass five-minute recap of the previous two Origin episodes, which we're not going to cover, because if you want to know about those, go watch our previous, or, or go listen to, either watch those episodes, or, or go go listen to our previous episodes, where we actually covered the Origin episodes one and two over on Mobile Suit Mondays on Fan Holes. But after that point, after we get through all the long expositional recap of the last couple episodes, we open up on Cassilia Zabi, and she has been given word that Casval Daikun is now headed back to Zeon. And so she kind of is basically arranging his death. You know, she's kind of setting up some kind of, you know, shuttle accident and she wants it to look fake but there's no way in hell she's gonna let him come back to Zeon and stir shit up so she wants him dead and what we see is both Char and Edouard are going through the airport and, and they're both headed on their separate flights but what ends up happening is when they're at the spaceport there's this security issue that ends up coming up because Basically, Casval has planted this antique pistol inside Char's suitcase. And then at that point, you know, he's basically being held. And then, you know, 
basically Edouard at that point suggests, hey, come on in the bathroom, let's switch clothes. And what'll happen is, you know, no one will see it because we're away from all these people that are clearly surveilling them. You know, like there's all these like plants in the middle of the airport on benches and reading newspapers and everything and keeping tabs on Edouard, basically, because they know he's really Caswell. And so they swap clothes, and then based on that, the real Char, basically, is posing Ed as Edouard, and he's going to get on his flight, and he thinks that Caswell is doing him this big favor so he can get to the military academy on time, and he won't be delayed by this whole security issue. And... Sure enough, that flight is sabotaged by Cassilia's agents, and it's it's almost ironic as he is frantically looking for his military papers, which Char has swiped, and he basically is almost in tears, saying, like, these these papers are my life. If I don't have them, you know, and, and before he can even finish the thought, you see this giant beam that just basically incinerates the space shuttle. And, and everybody in it is basically dead. I just thought I'd ask at this point, because I, I don't know what your answer is going to be, but I'm kind of curious, because I know we've sort of been going along this journey with Char, and, and, and we've kind of commented how we, we sort of can appreciate his journey more than, say, you know, somebody like Anakin Skywalker in the prequels that that we, you know, basically you're you're sort of following him as the protagonist. And when he makes, say, somewhat morally questionable decisions, you're still on his side because of the way he's portrayed. But I'm just kind of curious, like, what what were your thoughts on and I guess just to, to make it simple for us, I'm just going to call him Char from this point on because <laughs> yeah. it's going to get confusing otherwise. But I, I guess what I'm asking is, what did you think about Char at this point? Like, did your thoughts on him change at all, given what had just occurred? Not really. Like, I, I felt like since he, he pretty much at the end of last episode decided to like pretty much cast away his sister, basically like say I'm leaving forever and don't follow me. Like I, I think at this point he was kind of free to, you know, he, he showed last episode, he had no compunction about eliminating people he thought were threats, but I guess, you know, in, it's a little different than, than sacrificing someone who thought like they had your complete trust, basically like, and I don't know, it's a, it's a little cold-blooded, but I don't know, like, it's also, like, I, I don't, I didn't have a huge problem with it, like, basically, like... Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem with it myself, but I, I just could see this being the turning point for certain people that maybe at that point... They, you know, even if they, they had been relating to the character at some point, if somebody was going to make us think about it, I think, like, this episode in general and, and these beginnings of the whole sort of Shakespearean switch between twins, you know, it's basically like, it's it's like an age-old trope in Shakespeare, but what ends up happening is instead of like a comedy of errors or something, it's like the other guy gets blown to kingdom come, you know, <laughs> like he's, he's actually, you know, it's like the Padme decoy that like actually does her job and gets blown up for the queen basically, you know? And, and that's, yeah. that's essentially what's going on. See, here. We're, we're, we're smack dab in the center of like the hokey stuff I warned you about when we first started reviewing this series. <gasps> oh my God. This man is my exact double. 
That dog has a puffy tail. <laughs> ear puff, ear puff. <laughs> it it kind of strikes me like it's too clever for its own good. Like it's a John Byrne-ism fix, basically. And I get why, like, they're, what they're trying to explain. Like, how could Char, like, pass for someone else at the Xeon Academy, basically, without being identified, basically? Yeah. And I don't know. Like, but you'd have to, like, the the people who suffer for this are, like, the Xeon agents who are supposed to be, you know, keeping track of Castfall. And, you know, you have to accept the fact that they either did never took notice that this other kid looks exactly like him or, you know, basically it, it seems like they're completely oblivious of that fact where they're like, Oh, oh like Casfall and his, uh, his, his, uh, his companion are like going into the bathroom. Like, okay, well, like it doesn't seem to ever cross their minds that this could happen basically. Yeah, and the the other the I guess the other thing would just be that that even if it did cross their minds, they clearly didn't put it in any reports to Cassilia. You yeah. know, like I mean, you you could basically excuse the zombie family because they weren't really there. Like I, as far as I know, nobody in the zombie family has ever met Char, the real Char. Do you know what I mean? So, so you can excuse somebody who's never seen the person before. But like you're saying, you you have a tough time swallowing the the moment where there are all these guys that are basically trailing them, and they don't put it in any reports. They don't even mention it that they look exactly yeah. alike. So, yeah, I mean that that part, I guess, is one of those things where you just have to sort of suspend your disbelief and and move on with the the clever clever aspect of of the plot and everything. I mean, at this point. Now, like I said, we're just going to call him Char from this point on because he uh, ostensibly has, you know, taken Char's identity for himself. So now he is Char Asnoble, and he arrives at the military academy as a cadet, and he sits next to a fellow cadet who he's known, or I guess who, who his former identity has known, and his name is Lino Fernandez. And, you know, that he was a childhood friend of the real Char at some point, and they went to high school together. And at this point, we see that Giran Zabi is making speeches, basically, and really talking up a storm, but kind of saying a whole lot of nothing, basically, as far as I'm concerned. And I thought this part of the series to me actually i mean i know you say like the whole aspect of how shard gets there is kind of hokey but but seeing the dynamics of the federation military interacting with the colonies in a, a pre one-year war dynamic was was very interesting to me like the cadets are there and the cadets are clearly zeon the superintendent is dozel zabi and they're all wearing their own green Xeon uniforms. But what was really, like, you'd almost be thrown off or thrown back a bit because if you're not sort of in the know about the uniforms, you might be a little confused at what the disconnect is or the conflict is. But you see basically that their overseers are still in the tan Federation uniforms, you know? And, and like, it's weird because I was like, I wish Justin was here because I did a little research and, and just made sure and checked my facts. But, you know, to me, and, and we, we often bring up a lot of parallels with U.S. history in terms of this series, you know? I, I kind of think of 
the Xeon declaring independence much like, you know, the American Revolution than anything else, you know, in history, a parallel to it. But, like, there's there's nothing like this in American history. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, America had a continental army after the Revolutionary War. Before that, there was a militia. But, like, nobody in the militia went to, like, a British military academy and, like, had separate uniforms and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like this is a really... yeah interesting concept to me and i mean the best thing i could come up with when i was like looking at research was you know i'm sort of thinking of like post-world war ii japan because it's basically like prior to world war ii you know obviously there was the imperial japanese army academy but that was abolished after world war ii so then at that point, like, I had to look up the names and everything because I don't know them off the top of my head. But basically, like, at that point, they were replaced with the Japan Ground Self-Defense Force and the National Defense Academy of Japan. So in that sense, like, they, they kind of dismantled the Japanese Army and the Imperial Navy and everything. And, like, at that point, the United States Armed Forces were the ones that were responsible for defending Japan. So, like, in, in some ways, it's, it's like, it's weird. It's, it's, it's got these weird sort of amalgamations to me of those elements of history, but they, they don't quite fit very well into either. But I, I, I don't know, what, like, did you find this sort of as interesting to me, like, that the, the Federation officials are kind of a little bit like U.S. military officials that might have been stationed in Japan after World War II, or, like, I, I don't know, I just, I did sort of find the whole thing fascinating. Yeah, like, I, I think I kind of saw the parallels, basically, and that's probably what they were going after, and, yeah, like, I, the whole dynamic of it was very interesting to me, and I, I think, yeah, the, the, this was definitely, like, the most interesting, like, conceit of this whole, like, you know, just the, the whole how the, the, the relationship between the Federation and Xeon was, was like, at this point. Like, that, I, I thought this that was the most interesting conceit of this entire episode, basically. And and I will get into it when it gets, like, later on. But it it's, it's just, like, like, again, it seems like more revisionism where it's, like, you know, the Federation were always a bunch of goobers. Like, it, like incompetent, corrupt, like, evil goobers, basically. Mm. So. Well, it seems like it seems like there's that element to this series. And then, but, but another thing that I felt like it was worth mentioning is another person who has a cameo in addition to all the zombies. Because, you know, you're at this, you know, military academy filled with cadets. But like I, we were saying, like Dozel Zabi is the superintendent and Giran Zabi is giving a speech there, you know, inaugurating all these cadets. You know, Garma Zabi is one of the cadets. You know, Cassilia is there with her father, Degwin. You know, so it, like all the, the Zabis are basically there on site. And, you know, given that this is pretty much a very Zeon-centric storyline, that would be to be expected but one of the cameos that's featured as well is in this story he's vice admiral revel and that's a character that is basically in the original gundam series he's like the commander-in-chief of the earth federation space forces and and he's there you know and, and he, he doesn't really have a lot of lines he just kind of has a look on his face when you know Dizzle kind of talks out of turn and, and here and there but i mean as far as like 
more World War II historical comparisons. I mean, most people compare Vice Admiral Revel to, like, Winston Churchill or Franklin Roosevelt or Dwight D. Eisenhower, you know, like, like it compares them to basically famous prime ministers, presidents, generals in World War II. And, and in that sense, like, you know, maybe it's my centric opinion, but I, I kind of think of all those guys as, like, you know, kind of pretty good guys you know what i mean like in comparison you know and and so in that sense like yeah there may have been some federation dickwads that are there as well but the fact that admiral revel is there you're kind of like oh well there's some some decent representation as well you know like he was he was a, a respected yeah. figure in the federation yeah, military guy, yeah but yeah i mean like, like we were saying there, there's a big roll call of all the cadets that's where you're introduced to lino and and of course char stands up and, and says he's present and everything uh, another thing worth mentioning is from mua or more as we like to call it on the gundam thunderbolt series is a character named zena mia and while that might not sound super familiar at the moment, just keep an eye on this young lady, and we're going to be talking about her later. So she's another one of the many cadets that's there. And eventually the roll call, of course, ends on Garmazabi because he is basically the class representative for the entire class and, you know, being sort of the, the Zabi prince, you know, essentially. So they are all training at Side 3, which is referred to uh, specifically as the Autonomous Republic of Xeon Space Defense Military Academy. And they are all, you know, their sequences, you know, these, these kind of almost montages of them, you know, running track and field, they're fencing, and then there's this kind of, I, I found it amusing, this amusing basketball sequence with both Garma and Char, you know, kind of doing, you know, these awesome basketball stunts and layups and, and sort of, you know, Char basically does a slam dunk and everybody is sort of in awe of his, I, I guess if you can do a slam dunk, you're going to be like an awesome military yeah. mastermind. I, I was kind of like, but it looked like Garma did a nice like three point swish, but you know, I guess the slam dunk is like flashier and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cooler. You know, he, he had his hero Yui biker shirts on and it was super cool or whatever. Yeah. So it's more of that fan aura, you know, the swish is, is, is skilled and, and gets the job done, but no, nothing's more impressive than do dribbling and, and dodging all the, the opposition and then doing a slam dunk in their face. This sort of competition between Garma and Char continues. There is a sequence where they're both studying physics, and I guess Garma is kind of like the eager teacher's pet, and he goes up to the chalkboard or the whiteboard to complete an equation, and he gets a little stumped, and he's trying to think of something, and basically Char is the one who completes the equation, which kind of stymies Garma, but he doesn't say anything about it on the, at the time. The only person who really notices that there's anything that's much different, I guess, with Char's behavior is the character Lino Fernandez. And that's because he grew up with Char, like he went to high school with Char. So he's the only person with a real frame of reference. So, you know, unlike the Xeon super spies who were working for Cassilia, you know, like who should have noticed because they had a physical manifestation right in front of them of the two different characters looking exactly alike, like everybody else, but Lino sort of gets a pass, you know, and even Lino sort of questions himself. He's kind of like, eh, something seems off about this guy, but I don't quite know what because he's 
not seen them side by side either, you know? So so I, I think all those characters at that point are kind of excused. Like you said, the, the people that really feel the brunt of the stupidity is, you know, basically Cassilia's, you know, secret service agents or whatever, or assassins or whatever you want to call them. So this all kind of comes to a head where there's this kind of, like, standard bully with his crew sequence where it's like Garma and he's got all these goons that are kind of messing with Char, you know, basically like, you, you gotta apologize, you know, for, for making him look dumb in the middle of the physics class or whatever. Now, this is something I wanted to bring up because I know we've, we've tackled it, I think, enough. I don't want to spend too much time tackling this, but I, I think it's fairly understood and given that there are, even though this is a real robot genre anime and that, you know, the animation is good and most of it is taken fairly seriously, there are occasionally, especially with certain characters like Dozel Zabi, as we've mentioned in the past episodes, like elements of sort of comical stuff that goes on here and I, I didn't quite know how to take this because you'd think it's a standard bully and his crew scene and then Char would kind of turn the tables on them and everything but like this sequence basically gets really cartoonish and comical even though I think you're supposed to take it seriously sort of I, I, I feel weird because the, basically I'll describe it for our listeners if they haven't seen it but you know one of Garma's goons basically like they're they're all kind of saying like you gotta apologize and they're all kind of surrounding him and so one of the goons grabs Char by the shoulder and like he's trying to basically manhandle him but it's like Char's physical presence and like he gives him the char cold stare down that freaked out all the psychiatrists in the last couple episodes and everything and and it's almost like the stare down and somehow his shoulder is like i don't know filled with like electricity or what you know it's like he's just the super resistant dude and like the guy just starts screaming and he can't even like move his hand after that and then he does this weird like you know superman flicking his index finger at gorilla grod and basically this this kind of oafish you know thug that that garma was hanging out with he basically like flies like five feet away very comically into some bushes and like that scene i mean i don't know if it's something that's literally like, taken from the manga or whatever, but I, I, I will say that's something that just did not work for me. I don't, I don't know. What what did you... How, how What were your Yeah, that was, that was a little too cartoony. And it's not like the guy, like, flies away. He, like, slides away like he's on a, like, like escalator or something or some kind of, like, treadmill or something. It's weird. Like, I don't know. I guess, it, it, yeah, it was, like, exaggerating, like, what happened, but... I don't know. It's it's weird that the director chose to like showcase it like that. Basically, like if if I think it would have been one thing if he put his hand on Char and Char gave him the stare down and they did that you know that ominous Char look you know cloaked in like red or whatever and then the guy like took his hand off and like backed up a step that would be one. Yeah, thing. yeah, but like that. This guy that like has a. Yeah, this guy, like, has a seizure or something, and then he just slides, like, 50 feet away into a bush. And it's, like, all... It's rendered, like, literally, like, as I described it, basically, so... Yeah, it's very... It's it's a strange way to 
display that. I mean, I think it worked fine up until the point where he stares him down, but then after that, it just sort of falls apart because it's too... There's no, there's no establishment of the 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 comedic hijinks you know it's like those those kind of anime where like all of a sudden out of nowhere they do an anime flop and it's like if you're not really told the rules ahead of time it's almost like you know it's kind of like the way lucifer played in a lot of the early episodes where he just stood out like a sore thumb because everything else was like this super realistic revolutionary speeches and war and people in tanks getting blown away and you know bloody protests and you know, gas and mace and bullets and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm a wacky cat. I got a funny face, you know, and it, and it feels like that's that this portion sort of somehow repeats that in a scene that I think doesn't really need it, you know, and and that, I guess that's all. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but that's that's all I'll really say about that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Huh, I see. Now that you've explained it, I can see that you didn't need my assistance. Sorry about that. Char continues to one-up Garma at every opportunity. I mean, he's, he's you know, obviously he's better at fencing, he's better at basketball, he's better at physics, and this includes also being better on the shooting range when they're, like, shooting the bullseye at the rifles and then and, and all, or shooting bullseyes with rifles on the shooting range and everything like that. There is another side three colony called the Dark Colony, and this actually is dealing with the secret creation of the Mobile Suit Program. And and this also I thought was kind of interesting because it's like, you, you kind of see like that notion of people in their ivory towers like not really knowing what's going on. Like, he almost like sort of pisses away the war that's about to happen almost, because Giren comes in and decides like, look, I'm, I'm, you know, basically gonna disband this whole mobile suit program. Like, I don't see any use for it. It looks kind of stupid. And, and like, he's, he's just on his way. And, and, and Dozel, his, his brother, can't really convince him, you know, because they're family, and he's not really gonna, you know, pay his opinion any mind, basically, because he sort of discounts it outright. But I think the, the one thing that turns him around is we actually get to see. Minovsky himself, you know, he's he's the leading scientist, the technical advisor of that program. And and when he explains, you know, because I think Giren's attitude is, look, you, you've got the engines on the back. It's ridiculous. Like all someone has to do is shoot the engine, blow you up and then you're done. Like this program's, you know, worthless. Like it's not going to help us. But when Minovsky basically explains like his principles and everything and and what he intends to do to correct the problem he says he says it's a very legitimate concern that you have sir but this is what we're going to do to fix it and when he sits down and listens to them and how they're going to miniaturize the engine and it's not going to be in such a vulnerable position and everything and the advantages that they'll have you know dealing with Minovsky particles and how radar won't be an issue and the maneuverability will basically give them the advantage and it won't be about battleships anymore it'll be about the mobile suits and it'll give them uh, an advantage over the federation military then he sort of sees the value in it and and basically goes ahead and says look you've got the green light but just keep it on time and 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 we'll keep this up and everything and i i thought that's kind of an interesting uh, another interesting portion of of the historical aspects you know the kind of you know if not for 
the grace of, you know, what have you, you know, certain things would have not happened, you know, and I, I think it's like one of those near misses where, you know, they almost did not design the first mobile suits or, or at least, you know, the first military applied mobile suits, if not for this sort of sit down and advisement and everything. So Minofsky is definitely, you know, represented in this episode, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, like I, I do like it. Uh, sometimes, uh, though, I do feel like, you know, I, I obviously it's a prequel and this stuff had to happen a certain way. But sometimes it's like, you know, you know, Garen's there and then all of a sudden is like, and, uh, and you in the corner, who are you? And he's like, well, I'm Dr. Manofsky. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, and, and what do you do? Well, I'm helping you make a mobile suit. Dun, dun, dun. Like, <laughs> And then he's like, and we're going to call it the Zaku. Dun, dun, dun. Like, yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, yeah, it's got that aspect to it as well. But, no, yeah, but it's still interesting. Like, it's just, that's just me, like, being funny, basically. But it's, it's, I, I do like it. Like, it, it, it's interesting to see where this, how this stuff, like, was put together, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, basically, we, we end up cutting back to the Academy and there's this endurance test, a uh, kind of race almost, that is proceeding with all the cadets. And they're carrying these large backpacks through a treacherous hiking range. And just to make a long story short, Shar and Garma are basically the two guys in the lead. When it begins to rain, Garma decides he wants to take the lead from Shar, so he's going to ignore the dangers of traveling with his large pack on a slippery slope. And of course he slips, he ends up falling and ends up breaking his leg. And then at this point, instead of just killing Garma outright, Char ends up protecting him from the elements. It, you know, at some they, they really play with the aspect of he's 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 kind of sort of ominously hovering over him and he he cuts a, a you know wooden pike and it's like, oh, is he gonna stab him? And of course he stabs the pikes he makes four of them and then basically you know prompts up like a little mini tent over you know the wounded garma and basically you know says oh think of this as your palace or whatever you know and, and kind of is always he's always sort of giving him shit as as he as he assists him sort of and and by the end of it you know he brings him back to the camp safely and like I have my own thoughts about it, but I, I just thought I'd ask you, like, what did you think of this move that he makes at this point in the in the series? Like, do you think it's it's more about is it more about like fitting the 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 canon that we already know and is established, or or did you feel like it worked well within the the story that we're currently watching? Like, you know, saving Garma, basically. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, like, I think it's Char being, like, calculating. Like, I think, like, he's, he knows he's at the bottom of the totem pole right now, and he's he thinks this is a way to climb higher up the totem pole. So, I mean, he could have just killed Garma and, like, dumped his body down, like, you know, anywhere. And he could have even made it look like an accident, and he would never, like, he, he could have made it look like he would he was not responsible and he was never to blame or anything, but... I think he's he's playing a game of chess right now. So this this was a a the first basically moving you know a pawn into position. I think I think we're totally secret brothers because my notes were basically this felt like a strategic chess move. So I I think I totally agree because you know he's kind of using Garma to get closer to higher 
higher ranking targets. You know, it's like you you don't arrest the the small time drug dealer to get the really big, you know, guy who's who's shipping all the goods. You know, like so that's that's kind of what I thought of it as. I mean, this is almost like Shar is in a very long term undercover operation. You know, and and this is his way to like you're saying get get in and 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 you know get bumped up the ladder you know quickly and and also have access to to the the people that he needs to have access to to carry out his vendetta and everything so i i i completely agree with that i mean this and what's interesting is like that totally works because you know in bringing garma back to the base and everything the the outcome of this whole scenario is that the kid Lino, who who Char was rooming with, who was starting to suspect, you know, that something was not quite the same with his, you know, high school comrade, I guess, that, that you know, at this point, Lino ends up moving out of the dorm and Garma becomes Char's new roommate. And, and it's also this funny moment where Char kind of laughs, you know, and it's kind of like sort of emulating the, the same way that Char kind of, the same relationship Char has with Garma in the original series, you know, kind of laughing at the spoiled rich kid, basically. I, I did like that scene, yeah, like where he is like, you know, he he kind of goes, Garma says like, I like, you know, having you around because you, 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 everyone, I'm, I'm surrounded by yes men and I need like, you know, someone who's going to challenge me and, and Char just laughs and he's like, you know, dude, you, like this whole move is like, you're, you're being a spoiled little brat. Like no one else can change their rooms, but like you can, cause you're the friggin' zombie air. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty funny scene. I think. Looks like Garma has taken a special interest in you. Just do your best to play nice. All right. I filed for a room transfer request. I'm surrounded by yes men. The last thing I need is to live with another one. It's pretty boring. Which means you're my new bunkmate. May this be the mark of a good friendship. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. What's so funny? Looks like you're spoiled after all. No one has the ability to choose their own roommate while at a military academy. That is, unless you happen to be a Zabier, right? And and then I guess we get a brief moment with Sela where it, it's kind of like the expositional explanation, you know, more clever, clever stuff, I suppose. But but Sela returns to the Texas colony and it, basically it's sort of to explain why, like, the Asnoble family isn't like up in arms that their son has been blown away because they don't realize that all they know is their son went to military academy and hasn't really talk to them since you know so it's almost like that you know it's like they've had a falling out you know within the family and that basically explains any of char's odd behavior you know including basically not you know not really coming home for breaks or you know like normal college kids would come home and get their laundry done <laughs> you know like you know come home for holidays and stuff like that but you you get the idea from their conversation that that you know since taking Char's identity, you know, basically Casval hasn't tried to pretend to be their son. I mean, he knows, he's smart enough to know not to do that, you know what I mean? So th there's that aspect to it. And then, and then also, I guess you, you are also informed of the notion that, you know, along with the graves of, of the, the cat and the mother, you know, there's also a, a 
a grave for Edouard, you know, basically next to them. So, so in this sense, you know, and, and I guess Sela is kind of questioning, like she, she sees the grave. She knows the, the flight manifest that, that his name was on it. She knows that the flight was totally destroyed, but she's not a hundred percent convinced that, that her brother is actually gone. So there, there's, that's, I guess all that scene sort of, serves to do you know it, it seemed like it was it was kind of expositional but also i guess it you know kind of follows up with sayla and kind of lets you know what she's been up to since this is minimally you know i mean it's really char's episode you know like there's not a whole lot of sayla in it at yeah all. well I, I felt like last episode was really sayla heavy so like i think it was like this is swinging the pendulum back so. the other way yeah yeah that makes sense. Impressive. I don't know how the Federation military supervisor will grade them, but I give them full marks. Those kids are real soldiers. And and then, you know, at this point, we're treated to a mock paint gun training battle, and it sees Zeon victorious against what is considered the superior Federation forces. I mean, basically, it involves you know, Char and Garma, you know, implementing these sneak attacks, and they take over this 1.4 substation and radio Garma to spot the other sites with cannon and shellfire. And, you know, it, it's the idea that even though there are greater numbers in the Federation and they have superior technology, you know, that, that just leading some covert sneak attacks and, and using the equipment they do have to their advantage, they can certainly you know level you know in this case it's just a bunch of paintball stuff but you know they they certainly make the the federation forces look foolish and you know obviously like dozel zabi is very pleased but th this is the 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 point where you you see the, the you know i guess as you're describing the kind of dickish federation officials you know because they're they're kind of feathers are ruffled and they're insulted and they're 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 basically sort of iterating the company line which is like you know don't stir shit up you know like don't don't try to you know basically separate the you know like you are part of the federation you know like don't try to pretend like you're your own independent colony basically you know they, they, they you know it's kind of like the idea of you know we did talk about the continental army and and like that notion of you know they you know the british did not want the American colonies to have a standing army. In this case, that's not exactly what's going on here. They're actually like training these kids, which is kind of weird. But at the same time, it's like they're training them to maybe, I guess, in in their minds, be part of the Federation army at some point, and and that you know, the the Zeon would actually be, you know, continue to be part of the Federation and and go off and do Federation stuff basically. And you know, there's a uh, a kind of interesting sequence where, you know, Char basically stops this one kind of Dick Federation officer's diatribe, and he's like, I have some questions, you know? And, and you know, I, I guess all, all that I can do is kind of reiterate what his questions are. As if today's exercise was meant to mimic a real-life mission, what manner of enemy can we be expected to confront if we are meant to fight them with an already established firepower disadvantage? Question two is... You just said that you will not tolerate any attempts to alienate the colonies from the Federation. As such, since the Space Noid Self-Defense Force is overwhelmingly inferior with substandard equipment, does it not follow that it's nothing but a sham military 
Henry, whose only purpose is to drive home just how weak the colonies are. Oh God, he said it. But I mean, it, it, the basic idea was, he he asks if the exercise was supposed to be like a really real mission. He's like, well, what kind of enemy do you expect us to fight with a big firepower disadvantage? You know, like like he, he's basically like pointing out that the enemy that they're having them fight is just it, it, it's it's it, it was supposed to be a an exercise in sort of humiliation i guess and it just didn't turn out that way you know what i mean like they, they were they were they were supposed to lose you know what I mean? Like they, they were supposed to be shown like yeah. how insignificant they were, and it just didn't work out that way. And and then the other question he kind of asks is basically what what we were talking about before. He he, you know, basically says, "Look, you just said you're not going to tolerate alienation between Federation and the colonies." And he's like, "Well, doesn't this just mean that you know this self defense force you've created is just like a sham military to show how weak we are?" You know, and 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 that kind of really reminds me of i mean i i guess that point in history that i mentioned the the idea that you know that it's the kind of thing you always you always laugh about when you watch godzilla movies and you're like they don't have a military you know like, that's not real <laughs> you know like like and, and stuff like that and and, and i did kind of think back to stuff like that where it's like you know, basically, it's it, it it is just supposed to be like for show. You know, like they're they're not really training them to rebel. You know, against themselves. You know, like they're just they're just doing it for show, basically. And and at this point, like that Federation official gets pissed off. He he says that these are not questions, but they're insubordination. He starts yelling about Char's sunglasses, which we haven't really talked about this much. But basically, the the reason why Char gets away with wearing sunglasses, which are considered regulation still, and you know, in the story sense, they're to hide his identity because he has blue eyes, whereas the actual Char has brown eyes. But you know, and that's basically what the sunglasses are for. But the official in-story explanation is that it's a medical condition and that if he exposes his eyes to certain forms of ultraviolet, like radiation and light, like he would eventually go blind. So nobody really questions why this kid is running around with like, you know, tinted lenses all the time because it's supposed to protect his eye. And he, the, the, the Dick Federation officer ends up smacking Char in the face, but of course he doesn't flinch and he just, you know, continues to, you know, look forward and stand strong. And it, it almost basically he's smiling because this has worked all out to his advantage to the way he wants to play the situation because that act ends up provoking like every other cadet and it spurs Garma to defend Char outright and he basically says you know I demand you pick up these glasses and apologize and the guy actually starts to sweat and ends up doing before we end up cutting away from the scene what, what I'm curious what your take on on this scene was Mike I I liked that like I thought that was kind of a badass thing that kind of you know separate shows what separates him from the pack basically like you know and he has to, he has to it seems like he has to be the center of attention sometimes and like you know and basically point out the hypocrisy and 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 what yeah like you said they're being trained to fail almost also like 
it also shows like how Garma kind of piggybacks on like Char's charisma, basically. And, you know, like that chess move, basically, he made is paying off where, you know, Char's got the other students behind him. And then like Garma kind of like pick, like I said, piggybacks on that. And then now he's got a connection in Garma, basically. So like, yeah, I thought I thought it was a pretty badass scene for him. And although, like, again, I question like you know even even if his sunglasses were a prescription and stuff like i i guess you have to you have to just you know think like you know clark kent glasses or whatever like you know that that hide his identity basically yeah, yeah. but, but yeah, no, that's that, pretty pretty cool though yeah yeah i i i thought it was a cool scene because it, it displays like you know shark can actually think for himself you know he's not he's not an automaton you know which is i think what some of the federation officials are used to dealing with just people they can control and manipulate and he's definitely you know as evidenced by you know everybody in his life trying to do that to him whether it's his little sister trying to sort of control him not to kill people and not to go on this vendetta or even Cassilia trying to convince him as a little kid i mean obviously he he you know balked at all those notions that he was going to be manipulated and you know, he, he basically is following his own path and everybody else be damned. So, I mean, he's nothing if not consistent. So I, I totally can respect that aspect of, of the character. Shark, this is absolutely top secret, but I'll let you in on it. Those mobile workers out there can be repurposed for military use. That's the reason why Dozel has been working overtime on their development. They're about to enter the final stages too. Thanks to Dr. Minovsky's theories, they've succeeded in miniaturizing its fusion reactor drive. They're going to call them mobile suits. A mobile suit. Huh. Now this, I uh, the the next sequence I kind of jokingly described as like the the single white female Char sequence because he's like creepily like looking at Garma because Garma's like sleeping over a desktop, you know, and everything. And like, because they're roommates and stuff. And Char's like looking at him and it's like one of these things where you're like, should I murder him now? Or should I just put a blanket on him? I think I'll, I think I'll put a blanket on him and stuff. So I thought that was, I don't know, that, that scene kind of cracked me up and everything. And then there's even more tensions that flare up when there's this Federation ship that basically ignores a change in the flight path to make way for a Xeon ship. And this ends up leading to a, a crash that leads to like untold damage, death and destruction, which is just kind of like... It's just another nail in the coffin, you know, because now, again, you know, whereas, like, Zeon Zoom Daikun, like, his whole cry for independence and stuff sort of died down a bit after, you know, his death and, and all this kind of stuff that went down with his kids and everything. It's like now that's, again, a hot-button topic, and you've got, you know, Zeon, you know, officials at the, whatever they call it, like, the Space UN, you know, basically, like, saying, we want independence, and, you know, the Federation are a bunch of jerks and it's all their fault that this accident happened and everything and you can see like there's protests and you know there's military force that's being used against the protesters and they're being gassed and shot down and everything and you know in the meantime like Garma, Shar and all the cadets are trying to clean up all the debris and destruction that were caused by this accident you know and this is a really cool moment I mean I don't know if you think it's like the you know mobile suit dun 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 
kind of sequence, but I mean, basically, this is the first time that Char ever sees or encounters a mobile suit because there are some worker mobile suits that are clearing up the debris. And then Garma, you know, again, you know, his chess move is paying off because he's now closer to the inner circle than he was before. And Garma says, Well, I'm not supposed to tell you this, it's top secret, but I'm going to tell you this that. You know, my brother Dozel's been working on ways to militarize this mobile suit. And pretty soon we're going to be kicking Federation ass with it, you know? And and so at that point, you know, Char's kind of got that, like, smug look on his face. And, and he's almost kind of excited about the mobile suits and everything. Yeah, like, I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, like, I think Char, like, was showing a bit of, I don't know, insight, basically, where, you know, the same kind of insight where, you know, he sees it, like, maybe that Dozel has where he sees it and he says, this is what's going to win us, like, the war, basically, like, something like that. Yeah, and, and, and during this sequence, there's a, a giant Federation ship that's looming. It basically is looming through the worksite and it ignores all the Xeon hails. And, you know, Ashar at this point is basically saying, look, you know, these guys are being brought in to pacify Zoom City. And, and they, you know, Char is not not a dummy, like he kind of knows what's going on and everything. And then there's another sequence between Degwin Zabi and Girin, where he reminds Girin that, you know, you've got to cool off all these protesters and sort of, you know, tone it down a little bit for right now. And and Giran's kind of like, oh, I just thought I'd let them do whatever they want, father. You know, like he thinks this is all going according to his plan. But of course, Degwin's kind of like, I'm just going to remind you, Garma's on that side. And if anything fucking happens to him, it's your ass, you know? And, and he's like, oh, okay then. Like, <laughs> I like, so. yeah, like, I, I like that, like, you know, Degwin is like uh, sort of like more a lot more vital than he is like like in terms of his physical health than he is in the series basically like i feel like during the series you only see him like beaten down like you can tell the war has really had a, a like adverse effect on his health but here he still seems kind of in control like he like uh, garen obviously seems more intimidated by him you know and basically uh, you know, you, as you know, it'll evolve to the point where Garen, like, pretty much ignores him and, like, you know, thinks he can, like, seize power at some point. But, like, right now, it's, Degwin is still firmly in control. Yeah, he's still he's still top dog, and, and you know, the, you know, there's no shark smelling blood in the water at this point, you know? Yeah, and, and you, you also see, like, you know, that Degwin, like, legitimately, like, you know, loves Garma, you know, has a soft spot for his youngest kid. Yeah. And yeah. you can see why he took it so hard when Garma finally dies in the series. Yeah. And, like, it, it, you know, at this point, we're, we're back in at the military academy, and we can clearly see from their regalia, it's like, Garma has his little Xeon sort of smock or whatever, and Char also has that same smock, which eventually becomes incorporated into his red Char outfit. And, and you see that, you know, Char at this point is basically Garma's number two, you know? And, and at this point, Char is the one who's suggesting leading an attack on the Federation barracks, and Garma at first is really frightened out of his mind, like he's kind of balking, but eventually he sort of relents and agrees when Char shows him his plans. And 
Garma's basically freaked out at this point. Like he can he can barely button up his vest. And there's this kind of sequence where you know Char again. I, I guess as we've been describing, he's he's a cold customer, but he's also very cool. So even though like they're about to basically change history, which he basically outright says, you know, he he, he is still calm enough to button up Garma's vest and sort of nudge him in all the right directions for what he needs to to get this kind of stuff done basically the the only the only thing that and it was really noticeable in that sequence and and when he's explaining his plan to garma and i i think we've mentioned this in the other episodes that we covered but like when i was watching the the japanese version of this I know it's the original voice actor, but like the original voice actor is like what, like in his seventies now or something or sixties, yeah, you know? And it's just like I can't help it. Like he doesn't look like he's like a, a nineteen twenty year old kid, or he doesn't yeah. sound like he's a nineteen or twenty year old yeah. kid, you know? And it's like it's like, and and I know I get it. It's like the relevance of he's the original actor and and all that kind of stuff. But there there is that notion of man, he just he sounds like. He's an old dude. Yeah, like a, you know? I didn't actually get to watch the subbed version this time, like the the Japanese version. But like last time, yeah, I was kind of like, man, he's trying his heart out, but like, yeah, yeah. he just can't really do it. He yeah. can't quite do it. So the the dub guy does a great job, though. Yeah, I like, think so. Don't tell me that you're scared. You, an heir to your family's legacy, who one day might lead the zombies and have control of Zion. You can't be scared of a little thing like this. Yeah, but... You have the ability to lead us. You're our top student, and you're the shining star of the Academy. Star... You saw that assault landing ship with your own eyes. That massive thing was transporting security forces from the Guardian Banshee to Zoom City. And as we speak, those very forces are slaughtering the citizens there. If the troops that are stationed here are also shipped into the fray, what happens then? If you're the zombie man you say you are, then you can't just stand idly by and do nothing. Then at this point, we've got Lino, who is having a private conversation with Char. And he basically tells him he's found him out. Like, he knows he's really Casval Daikun. And he agrees to keep his secret. And he gives him what they call a Luna Ball headgear that's modified. Which is basically like Char getting the battle mask that we all know and love from the series. And, you know, I, I guess Lino describes it as he can't wear those sunglasses into battle. He, he was like, well, try this on. And he's, it's almost like, it's funny. Like it, it was almost like Lino had like a, a Japanese fanboy moment. Cause he's like, you look so cool. <laughs> you know, like he's like, I do, huh? <laughs> you know, like, like that. Yeah. I, I kind of felt like that in that moment where it's like, he, he finally, you know, I, I guess it's like, you know, Darth Vader putting on the armor and the headgear or something, you know, it's like the first time Char puts on that mask, you know, and then somebody just kind of going, you look so cool. You are awesome. <laughs> and he's like, it's like, it like, looks like am, you're wearing huh? a pair of, it looks like you're wearing a pair of underwear on your head. <laughs> I don't know, like, part of me is also, like, I, like, part of me is like, oh, yeah, that's cool, that's where Char got his mask, but part of me is also, like, like, the, 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 the burnism, like, trying too hard to explain things is kicking in, where it's like, you know, we have, do we, do we really have to know the origin of the mask? Like, you know, we just fucking decided to wear a mask, like, you know, but I, I don't know, it, I mean, it's both cool, and also part of me is, like, nagging and saying, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, that's kind of like 
a little, like, goofy. At this point, I guess Garma gives what I call his Braveheart speech to the other cadets on Space Noid Independence, and Char ends up taking out the all-terrain vehicles into battle, and he, of course, has that, that funny line where, you know, of course, Garma is, is prepping all the troops and sort of, you know, revving them up to, to go into battle and everything. And it's funny how, like, Char's listening to it, and he's like, that's it, rich boy. You you can do it. You know, like, like you can do this shit. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So, and and then this is the point where I, I briefly mentioned the character Zena, and I, I uh, now we're finally coming back to it because Zena does not join Shar or Garma in the upcoming event because she was specifically designated to distract Dozel Zabi, and. Like, she is, you know, she does go there in the middle of the night on the auspices of needing to talk to the superintendent and everything. But, like, I had sort of forgotten, but then when I was, like, looking up all the characters and everything, like, th this kind of reminds me of when, like, people always, like, you know, scream and holler about, like, Sue Storm and Reed Richards, you know, getting together and Sue Storm's age and everything. And, like, I was like, oh, you know who this is? Like, this is his wife, like, before they got married. And I was like, I, I don't know, like, I was kind of like, this is, this is potentially like, you know, like, Dozozabi is also a Char, you know, like, sort of, <laughs> like, like, you know, I guess Zenomiya is like listed in her profile when he's looking at it as like 20 years old. And I, you know, it's funny is Dozo looks a lot older than they actually say he is, because I think... Yeah, isn't he only point, in his like 30s? Like, well, at yeah. this point, they say he's like 28 or something. So okay, like, wow. and, and, and I'm like, well, I assume maybe, you know, it's like he's in his thirties, maybe by the time it's the, the one year war begins or something. But like, I was kind of like, yeah, that's not, I was like, I'm sitting there like rationalizing and making excuses. I'm like, hey, it's only eight years and she's legal. Like, it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. It's yeah. totally cool. But, um, yeah, so there, there's that aspect to it where I was like sitting there going, oh, that's Audrey's like mom, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, like like if if you want to like tie all the series together, you know, in a sort of like a family tree way and stuff like that. So Audrey from Gundam Unicorn's mom, like totally like hits up her dad in the middle of the night to start the rebellion, you know. So so yeah, there's there's that aspect to it, and and he is he is successfully distracted basically. And at this point, Garma is pulling the same trick from that mock battle they had, but instead of using, like, paint guns and everything, it's real shellfire that they're using to attack the Federation barracks, and then Char and his guys are using flight packs and bazookas to take out the barracks. And at this point, Char sends Lino to commandeer a Federation tank, and then once Lino's successful... He actually does not inform his other men of his success and instead tells them that Lino died at the hands of Federation soldiers. So then Char's men basically destroy the tank along with Lino, and this therefore preserves all of Char's secrets. So I, I suppose, again, like this is a moment where if you had some kind of moral compunction, you know, where you, you found this questionable this would be the time to like rant and rave and hoot and holler i kind of just felt like as we've been discussing you know char is very cold very calculated and as far as i'm concerned like i i could see why somebody would have a problem with this because obviously lino did not do anything to imply that he would ever betray char but at the same time like 
people are only human. Do you know what I mean? Like they're bound to slip up. It's it's one of those things where who can you trust? You can trust you. You know, like, and I think that's where Char is probably coming from. And so, obviously, he he, he never had any intention of, of letting him survive this battle, you know. And this was all calculated from the beginning that that's what he was going to do and everything. So, I mean, I, I just find it as sort of consistent and methodical. And, you know, to me, I, it's better than, you know, curling up like Captain America in a ball or giving up at the end of Civil War. You know, it's like at least... At least he goes through with his convictions, you know. I mean, he, yeah, he, he obviously—he's—he's any... he's on a vendetta, and and really, it doesn't—it doesn't matter who, who is in his way or what the collateral damage is going to be. He's gonna—he's gonna continue on with the mission no matter what. Yeah, he's—he's he's pretty true to his convictions and stuff. I—I I thought it was pretty badass when like they—they they were all using the jetpacks and like Char was like you know killing all the Fetty soldiers and like his his little like theme from episode one like yeah. came up yeah. again. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. yeah, like I. I think that's like the Char theme, I call it, basically. Yeah, like that. That was a cool scene, and he and he does actually like take out like that. That's probably like I, I guess you would say if 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 you were wondering where all the action was in this episode, like this is primarily in the last like ten or fifteen minutes where a lot of that goes down. You know, you've got these tanks, you know, riding up on you know the Zeon cadets and everything like that, and and as you say like Char's like flying around and and you know taking out all these guys with his machine gun and stuff like that and and what's interesting is you know the 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 finality of it all is you know Char ends up successfully taking the main control center and he doesn't actually you know it, it's funny it's interesting how those psychiatrists and all those people just oh he's got a demon's eyes he's he's a terrible human being oh, i'm so freaked out by him but you know what's interesting is once he actually takes the main control center it's not like he mows down all those people indiscriminately he actually gets the commander to surrender his troops yeah that and they they take they lower their arms and everything and it's not like it's this bloodthirsty thing you know he, i think he, like he, if, you, if you were like on the fence with char like i think that point is where you're like okay fine like let's climb down from the fence like now like okay like you know you know sacrificing you know the real like the real char and leno those were like yeah like for the basically for the greater good of his plan but you know when he's gonna mow down people who are helpless you know that's a that's another thing basically yeah and 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 then I I also even though it, it does fall into that slightly comedic realm I I did appreciate the scene where Dozel finally gets there on site you know he's got he's got Zena at his side and everything and then you know Garma at that point can like barely stand and you know it's kind of like he's about to faint where he's like Nissan <laughs> you know and stuff like that like you finally you finally showed up <laughs> oh yeah and Gar and uh, Dozel's like weeping like a baby yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know and it's like one of those things where you crazy kid <laughs> you started the dawn rebellion <laughs> you know and y you know what's interesting to me like I guess I, I, I mean I was trying to delve deeply into it but you know it's like this incident the dawn rebellion eventually led to the one-year war and like it, it's weird like I'm, I'm kind of at a crossroads between you know clearly there's lots of fan aura given to Char in this series and and obviously you know he is a character that is brimming and exudes the fan aura, you know, and everything like that. But but another thing I thought of was, I mean, he does, given the context of this story, 
he does have a lot of responsibility in terms of like his own private vendetta leading to all the death and destruction that happened in the one year war. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so in, on a larger scale, you know, it's like, Oh, well I started a war to, you know, continue my vendetta against the zombies, you know, basically. I think, yeah. Like, well, I, I think part, I think part of him, like, you know, a large part of him probably believes in the idea, like the, be, his vendetta aside, he probably believes in the ideals of, you know, spacenoid independence. And yeah, yeah. he probably knows the Federation are a bunch of corrupt assholes. So, like, part of him, like, wants this to happen, too. So that's probably our... Or at least, you know, he probably saw he could kill two birds with one stone, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense, yeah. But, I mean, that, that pretty much wraps up the episode. I mean, we, we cut to credits, and then there is a brief after-credits, post-credits sequence... Where we see Amuro and Tem Ray finally arriving on side seven for the first time, and then they sort of play like, you know, music from the original Mobile Suit Gundam to sort of get you in the mood for it. Which part of me was like, oh, I get it. It's like it makes sense. Like it's a cool cameo. But then again, given Amuro's attitude about side seven, like I, I kind of found it weird that he was like so awestruck by it. But maybe. It's because he was a little kid, and he finally, like, you know, it took seven years, and then he got over it or something, you know? But, like, like there, there uh, that aspect did occur to me, even though it's just a, a post-credits, you know, snippet or whatever for, for fanboys. Yeah. I'm also glad, like, it didn't happen in the manga, but I'm also glad they resisted, like... Like I said, like, with the Dr. Manofsky thing, like, they, they didn't go overboard in that scene where, you know, Amaro's, like, looking, like, it's side seven, and look, there's little Frau Bo, and little, like, Kai Shiden, and little, like, you know, uh, what do you call, Hayato, and, like, whoever else. You know? yeah. On the it's playground. Like, and it's like, it's hi, like... hi, little Amaro! Like, why are you calling me little Amaro? Go. Like, oh. Hmm. Yeah. It's like side seven babies. Yeah. We're the Fetties in the brand new show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I overall, I, I enjoyed the episode a good deal. I mean, I was, like I said, I was kind of super excited to see it. Like, I pulled the whole, I, I waited until midnight and watched it when it came out. And I stayed up, you know, the extra hour or whatever and watched the dub. And then, you know, before we got together to do this, I checked out the the japanese language version with the subtitles just to get another vantage point on it but uh you know i continue to enjoy this series and and i um i'm i'm kind of excited that there's the news that you know we're gonna have you know obviously we'll have the fourth episode and then uh, another series of of episodes after this like i'm i i i'm enjoying it in the sense that it's it's not quite the same thing as build fighters with the cameos because it's actually sort of in universe and everything. And that's kind of fun. I mean, I suppose it can be a double edged sword where you're, you know, you start to question the, the continuity of things here and there. But for the most part, I, I think uh, I've, I've pretty much, you know, had a good time watching this series. Yeah. Like I, I enjoyed it. Like, obviously like I've read the manga, so I, I know what's going to happen basically, but yeah, like, I enjoy seeing these scenes, like, translated into animation, and I, like, I enjoy hearing it dubbed, basically, and, like, I, you did more diligence on this one this time than I did. Usually it's the other way around, like, I will, I think the first time, like, I watched both versions, and you were like, oh, you watched both? Like, I just watched the dub, like, this time yeah, I only yeah. watched the dub, so... 
but uh, no, like I enjoyed it. Like you know, aside from my you know my jabs at it and my you know criticisms, like I I do enjoy seeing that. And I, I you know the original series has such a rich cast of characters, so like any any like new snippets of information like added to their backstories are interesting to me. So and it, it's a nice compliment to us reviewing the original series too. So you know yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you suggested that because it, it puts that stuff like foremost in my mind when I watch these, basically. So, yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's like it's too bad that we're, you know, we, we can't get that far into it. But I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll get into the later episodes pretty soon. I mean, it's these these origin episodes sort of cover a wide berth of of all the characters and everything but yeah it's definitely fun to sort of see the correlation between the original series and and how it sort of ties into the the origin episodes i told you i'm not casval my name's shar osnabal all right well i guess if there's nothing else to discuss we will wrap up this week's episode of fanholes mobile suit mondays we hope you've enjoyed listening to our pontifications on Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, Episode 3, Dawn of Rebellion. And again, you know, this is something you can obviously, you know, it's worldwide right now. You can stream either the English language dub or you can stream the Japanese original with English subtitles. I know at some point there's going to be the, like I said, the Blu-ray, you know, one of these collector's edition Blu-ray sets and everything like that as well if that's something that you're into getting the the physical copy and stuff like that and we hope like i said you've enjoyed listening to our uh discussions and musings and everything and you can of course follow us on all kinds of fun social medias we are on facebook twitter tumblr we appreciate all the likes and feedback that we receive we are on itunes we're on stitcher radio we have our regular blog spot where we host all of our podcasts and everything. In addition to Fanhole's Mobile Suit Mondays, we've got our other side shows like Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Transformers Tuesdays. And we, of course, have the proper podcast. So if you like listening to this, we hope you consider checking out our other shows as well. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, putting on my shades medically speaking for medical reasons not because i'm trying to hide my face signing off hey it's mike the real mike i am the real mike trust me i am wouldn't it be rad if there was like another mike but he just had like blue eyes yeah no wait does that mean he would murder me and like it's okay if i if i well i i kind of feel it's like that episode of the simpsons where Homer sees that like imposter of him and he's like, oh my god, this man is my exact double. <gasps> that dog has a puffy tail. <laughs> it's like I feel like those are the Xeon soldiers, like they're Homer Simpson in that in that analogy, basically. <laughs> oh my god, like Caswell has a complete exact double. <gasps> that dog has a puffy tail. They're puff.
RX 78 model. I don't think they have enough of those. Whew. I need the 999th model, please. This this one has the seventh rivet on its ass <clears throat> painted. Ooh, the seventh rivet, and it is painted light blue. So, yeah. unlike that last version, which only had the six that the, the, the rivets one through six painted. Nice. I didn't bother to change my avatar, but. <clears throat> You son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't want busts of Athrin and Kira, you <laughs> asshole. Uh... Dude, don't you want Kira Yamato looking at you every day? Dude, only if like you could press a button and he would like do his little voice actor thing. <laughs> Matt Hill records some if, if Matt if Matt Hill had like a bunch of like goofy ass dialogue like a crystal eight ball and then it was Kira Yamato like you know bust or whatever and you pressed a button where he's like dude the only way to win is through peace dude <laughs> and like you know and then I totally like you know I would totally get that 